Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast. This is the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm Matt's older brother. I'm a writer. I'll be asking him the questions and experiencing deja vu. And with me is Matt. Matt, say hi. Hi. <laughs> Before we get into the episode, just a couple of reminders of ways you can support the podcast. You can, of course, use your ear holes the way you are right now or your eye holes. If you are watching us on YouTube, you can also go to stilltbd.fm. There's a link there. When you click on that link, a yawning mouth opens up and you throw coins <laughs> into it before it eats you. Whatever kind of support you're able to give is greatly appreciated. And now a few comments on our last episode, which was don't compute your chickens before they've hatched. This is the episode that talked about servers put in your homes that would be used for heat generation for you, but computing power for the company that owns the servers. And most everybody answered the question I posed, which was, would you put a server boiler in your home? And most everybody said yes, without hmm. much expansion on that. There were lots of yeses, but there was this from M. Kelly. Kelly wrote, I wonder if there are potential security concerns. If the servers are all decentralized, there could be a risk of someone physically accessing them. You mentioned that Facebook pump waste heat to nearby homes. I can't imagine Facebook moving their servers into those homes to save on piping. Physical security sounds like a solvable technical problem. Example given, disable USB ports after installation, but could nonetheless dissuade potential clients of the IT services. Was there anything in your research as you were working on this video that talked about server security issues like that? No, I I should have asked them about that. And it's like that, that thread came up a couple of times on the main video as well. And it's like, I needed to, I need to reach out to Cornell to ask them about that, but I would put good money on the fact that they've answered that question. They've got a solution in place to try to make sure that things remain secure. Yeah. I just don't know the details of what it is yet. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if they're operating on some kind of proprietary OS where they would even have a lockdown operating system that would be based around some sort of Linux or something like that, that would be, you wouldn't know what you were getting into if you tried to get into it. And it probably has built in security to notify them of somebody trying to access certain. And, and I'm guessing they also like, like the USB port thing. I'm guessing, I mean, they're custom made servers that they've right. got. So it's like, I would imagine that they've got that lockdown that if you try to open it, like a signal or alarm goes off that would basically shut that blade down so that it can't be part of the distributed network. Right. So it's like, I'm sure they have security measures in place to make sure that they're staying on top of tampering. It is a very interesting question though. It's an interesting yes, it aspect of all of this. And yeah. the flip side also is interesting to me. The idea of we're constantly butting up against now tech companies and IT companies that are intruding on our privacy in our computer use, our phone use. There is lots of concern around security, around smart devices in the home. Is your television listening to you? Are, you know, if something has a camera, is anybody able to access that camera? Uh, this server tech brought into your home in this way is another interesting wrinkle of you're bringing somebody's 
literally intense computing power into your home that you are not touching at all. And there is a question of how comfortable are people going to be with that side of it? So, well, the, these kind of systems are isolated from whatever else you're doing in your home. It's not like it's sharing your internet connection or anything like that. It's, it's, it's a dedicated thing with its own dedicated internet connection. It's self-sufficient. So it's not going to be co-mingling with you, but I, I totally get your point. That's mm -hmm. a good point. And on to today's episode, we're going to be talking about Matt's most recent episode, which was why the airship may be the future of air travel. This episode aired on August 24th, 2021, unless you ask me, in which case I would tell you <laughs> that Matt and I talked about this exact thing more than a year ago. And when I brought that up to him just now, his response was, Buh, what are you talking about? No, I've never <laughs> done an episode about blimps before. So I'm going to do something that I don't typically do. I'm going to pose the listener question at the beginning of the episode. Which one Can of us anybody help me remember how and when we may have talked about this? I feel like we did talk about it and Matt yeah. has suggested that it may have been based around our conversation on his episode, which was about electric airplanes. So electric airplanes may have spurred on briefly touching on blimp technology. And then he and I may have talked about it in that capacity, but I watched this episode with great interest. I thought it was, I thought it was as all of your videos are well done, well produced, very informative. But I also sat there thinking <laughs> it's interesting that before. he's redone this topic. <laughs> yeah. So Sean is caught in a time loop, I guess we could say is the, either that or I produce an episode I've completely forgotten about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Turns out getting kicked in the head by a mule does have repercussions. I'm not sure which one of us got kicked in the head by the mule, though. So I guess we'll <laughs> find out based on the listener comments. Exactly. So a lot of the viewers of this episode pointed out, repeatedly pointed out the same things. Mm -hmm. This sounds fine as long as you aren't in a really windy day. Yes. So there's there's that aspect to it. There's the structural integrity of the ships themselves issue, which you pointed out that the largest airships to be built included really comp complicated structural interiors <clears throat> to the balloon in order for in order to keep its shape. And there were questions around how much of an impact would weather have on the integrity of that structure. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the questions around helium and hydrogen, which you yes. brought up in your video. Yep. So I would like to start with that one first. You mentioned that hydrogen is a renewable resource mm -hmm. and helium while much, much safer, obviously if you, are in an airship and it springs a leak, the worst thing that happens is that the emergency alert goes out in a very high-pitched, squeaky voice. <laughs> but hydrogen obviously has the issues around its explosive, combustible nature. But helium is not renewable. And so there were lots of comments around how does the technology continue to advance when helium would be such a problematic resource to try to use yeah we're running out of it <laughs> it's 
it's abundant in space, but we're running out of it here on the planet. Um, yeah, that's the big, for me, in all the research when I was putting the video together, that's the big question mark. It's like, here you've got one that's actually safe to use, but we're running out of it. How do we source that cost effectively uh, and make it work? And then the other side of it is we have this abundant resource that we can make basically as much of it as we want, but it goes boom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A big boom. Um, so when I was, I mentioned it in the video, but there's that one path that was brought up of autonomous flight of blimps purely for freight shipping where there would not be a human being on the blimp you could do hydrogen it's like it's not gonna if something goes horribly awry you lose the freight but you don't lose any life so it's like that looks like that's the path for hydrogen until it gets to a point where it's like we have it on lockdown and we know that every single flight is like it's safer than traveling on the in a car it's like until we get to a point like that, I don't think you're going to see any human beings on <laughs> hydrogen blimps because hello, uh, Hindenburg says hello. Um, yeah, it, this is the biggest challenge for me is like how you do this. I didn't bring it up in the video, but there's also, uh, I can't remember what's called, vacuum uh, blimps, like vacuum airships, which you create a vacuum, which becomes lighter than air and it lifts you up. So there's hold another- on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah. So you build a shell effectively. Yes. And then create a vacuum that sucks all of the atmosphere out of that shell. It's a hypothetical airship. This is all like, this is not a real thing. It's a hypothetical airship, which was okay. a vacuum airship. So it's like, is that even possible? Somebody would have to actually make it a thing, but it's like, there is this theory that's out there that you could make a vacuum airship. Um, but obviously how the, it's to me, that's like hyperloop. It's like hyperloop is like, okay, you're talking about making a 2000 kilometer long <laughs> vacuum tube <laughs> that something's going to go in. What happens if there's like a pinhole somewhere along that tube? Oh my God, rapid decompression. And then there's this vacuum airship. Some people brought it up in the comments. I didn't talk about it in the video. It's so out there. It's like, it probably deserves its own <laughs> deep dive. And my understanding of it is very surface level at this point. But I just bring that up of the, the these airships seem like a no-brainer for us to be trying, especially for like freight shipping, especially when you consider the danger of hydrogen. But it's how do you make lighter than airships with the resources we have available to us in a safe way? And that's gi the gigantic question mark right now for me. Right. And what's what means of hydrogen production would there be that wouldn't then also create, uh, there was a comment from era that said in response to another question from Michael Sawyer, who wrote, it seems like the biggest limitation of these airships would be weather limitations, giant, relatively lightweight objects don't fare well in high and crosswinds. And, and Michael, I completely agree with that. I think that this kind of technology seems like it would be regional. You would have certain places where yeah. you would have maybe winds that would keep you from being able to go into certain well, areas easily. Well, all the things I found about that, it kind of equated down to blimps work just fine wherever helicopters can fly. So if you can fly a helicopter, the, the same wind and weather conditions that limit helicopter flight would be the same exact weather conditions that would limit blimp flight. 
So if you think about it in those terms, it becomes less daunting of like, oh, there's a 30 mile an hour gust. It's like that it can do fine in that. But if there's like lots of fog or there's, you know, a tropical storm coming in, obviously you're going to ground all flights. You're not going to let people fly. So it's like helicopter flight is very equivalent to a blimp flight. Hmm. So in response to that comment from Michael, Arrow wrote, unfortunately, that's not even the biggest limitation. Sourcing either hydrogen or helium in those quantities would be just as bad as coal, if not worse. I wanted to get your thoughts around that comment, which is, let's say that all the companies involved in this research say, <laughs> okay, hydrogen is absolutely the way we're going to go because it's renewable. We can produce it. Are they then recreating a pollution issue Mm-mm. through trying to do hydrogen creation or are there means of hydrogen creation that don't have that environmental impact as was pointed out in this comment saying that this would be just as bad as coal? I have actually another video on my channel about green hydrogen specifically and I'd recommend people go watch that. There are absolutely paths to producing hydrogen in a very clean, environmentally friendly way. But right now, it's just more expensive than the the path. The most, hi- most hydrogen today is made from uh, n- natural gas. And so the equation of it's worse than coal is just not factually true. It's not worse than coal. It's better than coal, but it's still a dirty manufacturing process. Um, there are... It's called gray hydrogen, where there's kind of like it's better than the really dirty way, but then the best path is going to be, let's say you're using solar power, renewable energy to use electrolysis to produce hydrogen. And and that right now is more expensive than natural gas, but the price is dropping. And there is definitely a path where green hydrogen is going to be cost equivalent or better than using natural gas at some point. How long it takes us to get there, five years, 10 years, I don't know, but it is coming. So it's like we have a path toward cost-effective green hydrogen. So it's it's the same thing like the argument of you own an EV, but you're charging off of a coal-powered plant. What's the point? It's like, well, my coal-powered car is still better than a gasoline car. And their coal power plants are being phased out and there's more natural gas. And then there's more renewables being brought online. So over time, the grid is going to get cleaner. It's the same exact argument for hydrogen. Hydrogen may be dirty now, but it's slowly getting cleaner over time. This, I think you've already touched on in some of the other responses, but I think it's an interesting point to bring up from Richard Green, who wrote, one of the problems that most discussions of airships tend to ignore is that they provide more surface area and leverage for turbulent air currents, including air currents that will flip them end to end and or put substantial stress on the frame. The larger they get, the more susceptible they are to this risk. In your video, you talked about relative sizes. Are the relative sizes that they're talking about, I get the sense that they are not quite as big as the airships that were built, like the Hindenburg, I know was massive. And some of the airships that were used during the First World War uh, were incredibly big compared to like the Goodyear blimp we're not talking about a return to massive sized airships like that, are we? We're talking about something that's more moderate. Uh, some of the ones today are not as big, but there are plans to make some pretty, pretty big airships. Um, I think it's going to be like one of those types of things of as we perfect this and the costs become effective, you're going to see bigger and bigger airships that are used for massive freight shipping and things like that. So the other side of it is, a comment like they can flip and all that stuff 
remember the engineers who are making these things are well aware of the problems and they're going to be engineering them to make sure that it limits those risks. Right. So it's, I'm not, I, I never saw anything on any of my research about any concern about these blimps flipping or being thrown way out of whack. Right. Because like I brought it up before, it's where you can fly a helicopter, you can fly a blimp. So it's kind of when you're, you're using them appropriately, it's, it, they're perfectly safe and, uh, they can do lift incredible weights just absolutely astonishing weights right i also think it's worth noting that when it comes to the introduction of a new thing it's very easy for us to start nitpicking and looking for the looking for the holes and saying Mm -hmm. well what about this and what about this and what about this and i think it's probably human nature to start to dismiss that Mm -hmm. new thing out of that concern where there's the reinforcement of what is around us as normal. Mm-hmm. But if you take a step back and say, okay, I've got an airship, it's going through turbulent winds, it could flip end over end, it could it could roll, it could something could happen to it because of those high winds. Meanwhile, we have water shipping that is done with massive boats that mm-hmm. occasionally sink, sometimes mm-hmm. in high storm in large storms they will roll and lose containers over the side or we have things like recently happened was it the suez canal where yes they get the wedged. ship made a bad <laughs> turn after accidentally drawing a phallus with its root in the you know the following radar pings and trying to turn to the point where it actually blocked the suez canal and was in place there for long enough to affect literally global shipping that yep. was trying to go through that area. So to say, oh, an airship, that sounds like a really bad idea because w- that airship might have this thing happen to it that would be bad is to ignore the fact that there's pluses and minuses to every means of shipping or travel. Which also, which also kind of builds on when I talk about stuff like this in my videos, it's not like airships, solution, forget trains, forget planes, forget boats airships everything it's like that's never the case it's always this is another tool in the tool chest that we can choose and it's like you don't use a screwdriver to drive nails it's like you use the tool for the right don't knock until you tried it i've i've all right (laughs) you hit that nail hard enough with that screwdriver it's gonna go in (laughs) two other comments that i wanted to talk about one was about the potential of passenger travel and the relative cost that you talked about and what was the price of transportation in current dollars back in the thirties? It was something like, was it $8,000? It was like $8,000 or something like that. Yeah. And now there's a company that is potentially selling seats, which would be how much per passenger? Oh, I have to look it up. Uh, one second. Let me look it up. It was, it's a lot. (laughs) Uh, it was, let's see, it was $8,200 for the, um, back in the day. That's the Hindenburg passage, right? Correct. The price tag for a two person cabin on the Airlander 10 is (laughs) $79,000. Yeah. (laughs) And that's a two person cabin, Mm -hmm. which sounds lovely. Yes. And I do have to say the idea of if you could afford it, being able to take a leisurely flight, yes, walk around a, 
a viewing station where you'd probably have drinks and and things to you know game tables and stuff like that and then having a private cabin to be able to retire to if you could afford it that sounds that sounds remarkable it mm-hmm. does sound comparable to me to the highest end passage aboard say the titanic and yeah to me the price tag does stun, but to me, it does sound like there will absolutely be ultra rich who would science yes. for this in a heartbeat. Yeah. It's also think about it this way. It's early adopters. It's like, that's not going to be the price tag for the next 50 years. It's like, this is a very new thing. And so, so of course it's going to be expensive. It's like flying to space today is going to cost you half a million dollars on, you know, Virgin Galactic. Right. But, you know, 20 years from now, it's like you and I might be able to afford to do it. So it's one of those, it's just kind of crazy to think how expensive it is today. But there is a little bit of a, a your eyes yeah. popping out of your head. I but, yeah. would love to see the, have a device that would allow me to see through a time portal to the future where you and I in our 70s are sharing a two-person <laughs> cabin on a transatlantic flight on a blimp. <laughs> It would be great for the first day. And then after that, you and I both be like, all right, there's a reason why we never shared a room growing up. (laughs) My bonus question to the listeners, if you're weighing in on the first question, which is, has Sean lost his mind and has manufactured a video that Matt never made? The bonus question is this, what's your price point? Yeah. What is your price point for a two-person cabin to travel, let's say, just random city selection? You're going from San Francisco to Chicago, and it's going to take you several days, but you're going to be in an airship. What's your price point? What are you willing to pay for that two-person cabin? And what kind of activities do you think that they would have on that airship? Or would it literally just be, here's a porthole, have fun looking? (laughs) Final comment I wanted to share. Matt, in your research, did you refer to work by Julian Hunt? No. There's a comment from Julian Hunt who wrote, when Matt Farrell talks about your paper, you realize you made the right career choice. Thanks for sharing the research, Matt. I love and watch all your videos. Which paper did he work on? I have so many references in that video. It's like, I'm not sure which one he wrote. Oh, wait, I did. There it is. Yeah, the International Institute for Applied Systems Analysis, the IIASA. That's why I didn't remember as a trillion hunt. Because you had acronyms on the brain. This was your most acronym-heavy episode. By yeah, far. and some people made, made, made a joke about how the acronyms are, like, notorious in air, uh, air, air shipping and air flight. It felt very like much like if instead of different, you know, repeated and different ordered letters, if you had just been saying in order the letters of the alphabet, I think you would have gotten to the letter V. <laughs> because according to the ABCD, and then the next one is according to the EFG, and the next one, HIJK has this to say. <laughs> but let's not forget about LMNOP. So, so Julian Hunt, yes. you shared his research, but he's also a viewer, so that's pretty cool. Yes. So I'm interested to hear from the viewers about what you think about those two questions, have I lost my mind? And what's your price point? Make sure you let us know your responses to those two. You can do so by finding the contact information in the podcast description. And of course, on YouTube, you can just scroll below the video and the comments section is waiting for your 
happy words. Please do subscribe. And don't forget, there's a way to support the podcast directly. You go to stilltbd.fm. You'll see the support the podcast link there. Please also do give us a rating, a review, and share us with your friends. All of that really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew gives me deja vu. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.